0: as we've alluded to on our other shows this offseason, our crack rackets team attempted to speak with every power five men's and women's head coach employed throughout the college tennis world. We asked each of them about their team's respective 2021 seasons and what we should expect from them here in 2022. Of course, we also offered them a platform to share their thoughts on some of the big picture topics in college tennis. It is a fantastic series that our team is is ecstatic to finally start sharing with the broader college tennis community over the next six weeks. Fans can expect no fewer than 10 episodes a week to be posted on this feed. A huge shout out to our friends at Tennis Point for their support with this series. Remember, go to tennis-point.com right now. Use that promo code CR15 to express your thanks. With all of that said, we're ready to get to today's episode. So Westoff, hit those credits. Let's start today's show. Joining us on the podcast for the first time today is someone you may remember best from her standout playing career at Arizona State. Of course, now we know her as the head coach of the University of Wisconsin women's tennis team. Welcome on to the show, Coach Kelsey McKenna. Coach, how are you doing today?
1: I'm great. Thanks for having me, Alex.
0: Oh, it is my pleasure. And, you know, I've said this over the years, I've gotten to spend plenty of time competing at the University of Wisconsin, not quite with serious stakes, still a place near and dear to my heart. It's I call it Ann Arbor on a lake, but still not quite Ann Arbor, but still pretty good. Uh, But uh, it's obviously a school near and dear to my heart and to college tennis fans as well as one of the last events pre pandemic, the National Indoors for the Men was held there National Indoors for the Women this year being held there as well. With all that said, you know, how are things going up in Wisconsin?
1: We're so excited to be hosting indoors again at Nielsen in Madison. It really is a true winter experience. So <laughs> always really fun to have, you know, teams from the southern part of the United States or California bring their big puffer jackets and actually have a reason to do that. <laughs> So <laughs> we're pretty excited. It's um, it's a big undertaking, but we're lucky to have 12 indoor courts, which makes obviously the tennis really fun to be able to have all the matches at one location. And I think our event staff, I mean, of course I'm partial, but they do a great job running it and it's a pretty big investment. So we feel pretty lucky that our university and athletic department are supportive of hosting national indoors.
0: Yeah. And 12 indoor courts, all relatively close to one another. Again, I'm completely biased when it comes to Nielsen. I think it's a great place and it was cold last time there's no denying it I also have a theory I swear you know it was February 2020 and like everyone got sick and you're like huh like you know you do the math and you're like that was one of the last events of the time and so again it was a blast though oh I freaking love the national indoors there and I'm looking forward to it this year as well and I'm curious from a team perspective knowing you're going to be in the final 16 does, I mean I'm sure it doesn't impact the off season, but that's got to be a nice little carrot to look forward to
1: I think it's, it's exciting. Obviously, last year we got to play Pepperdine. Um, I think we were the first team out and then somebody pulled out. So then we were the last team in. Um, that was before there were multiple sites that are open. So they were like, hey, go to Pepperdine. And we were like, yes, sign us up. Like, how do we get there? Um, and then we got to play Denver. So we love playing kickoff weekend. So obviously it's you know nice to be able to continue to participate in some capacity. Um, but for us, it's just exciting. It's, it's exciting to have a team of people that are looking forward to the event, Um, whereas maybe that wasn't so much the case the first year I was here and we participated, so it's really crazy to come full circle because obviously the bids go out and you're like, okay, well, we're hosting this in 2022, like, when is that going to happen? And then all of a sudden it's here.
0: Yeah, and, you know, with that word excitement in mind, obviously it's year six for you now and, you know, looking at the past couple of seasons, I know it's been tough for everyone, but it feels like in particular for your team, you know, 18 and six in 2019. You make the NCAA tournament for the first time since 2005, eight and two to start out 2020. All things firing on all cylinders. I know eight and eleven. It's a misleading number because you're only allowed to play Big Ten matches in the kickoff weekend last year. But how frustrating has you know again this past 15 month be 15 months been? Particularly given where things left off pre-COVID.
1: You know, I, I think it's such an interesting kind of perspective to be able to take a step back and maybe look at things from a meta view and say, okay, where's the program come? Where's it going to? And how do we continue to evolve? But um, to go from year one to 52 in the rankings. um, I mean, last year we finished, I think 65. So even to kind of just have that perspective, um, sometimes is really good. Last year was just a little bit unfortunate in the sense that um, we had a season ending injury at our tournament in Michigan. Um, She had a torn ACL and she would have definitely been playing for us. But I mean, needless to say, we we had opportunities last year despite the circumstances um, and we just, we couldn't quite get over the hump. And so we had quite a few four, three matches. Um, So I think for us, it was just making sure that we put the work in during the off season, during the summer to make sure that we could maybe better position ourselves, better prepare ourselves for this upcoming year. I mean, it was tough for everyone. I think everyone's had, you know, bumps in the road. But I think for us, it's more focusing on how can we be consistent with our preparation to make sure that we're better positioned this year instead of focusing on the past, I guess. No, no, (laughs) totally
0: fair. And you talk about those four, three matches, eight of them last season and you know again (laughs) you did have some of them go your way yeah you're laughing as I say this how uh, again you have a playing experience to call upon I feel like it's so much worse to have to watch the match and to not have a stake in it and I'm sure as exciting as those 4-3 matches are does it drive you crazy as a coach what's that experience like 8 of them in a season
1: well at the end of the day it comes down to preparation right and I think competing shows us um, maybe the moments where we're weak. So I just think really, you know, using them more as a catalyst for how we're going to better prepare is kind of more my focus than being like, oh, another four, three, because <laughs> I, like, no, know, the result is the result. And so how do you better position yourself? How do you make sure that you're making those adjustments to best help your team into the future? Um, and, you know, that's not to say that they're not you know gut-wrenching or heart-wrenching i think it's it's tough too when you have a team where it's four three and you're like okay well if this one person was playing where would we be at instead of maybe saying okay like where can we step up or where can we improve and so a lot of that is is on us too on me personally last year because that was solo for a while um <laughs> from a coaching perspective but yeah i think for me i, I learned a lot also along with our team and um you know, you hope maybe some four threes go your way this year. But let me die by that. No ad point, right?
0: Yeah, exactly. And the good news is so many of the returners are back, and I want to talk about that. But you mentioned something I wanted to ask you about. For the majority of last season, you were alone. And I think one of the biggest, you know, takeaways for me doing this Power 5 coaching is, A... X's and O's is, like, 20% of the job. Like, in reality, it's the marketing, it's the managing of scholarships and personalities, all these different things that really are what make a head coach a head coach. That said, talk me through that experience.
1: I mean, there wasn't a great work-life balance. Um. <laughs> if i'm being honest but i have i mean my husband's really supportive he moved from arizona to madison which you know those are two completely different climates <laughs> yeah. um and then actually i'm really lucky because my direct supervisor was actually an all-american here um in the sport of tennis so um maria pienka a little shout out to her she was you know she she came as much as she could in terms of helping um she also supervises a lot of other sports so i think it was it was awesome i mean how many people can say they got to coach with their administrator i mean i think yeah. that's a pretty special experience um and then obviously getting to hire susie this year who played at northwestern and played at cal poly i think obviously we're just i'm so excited to have someone else mm-hmm. um i think that makes it the job so much more fun um when you know you're you're sharing in the building of a practice and the building of a team i think that's re- really a special part of our job And um so yeah well with that (laughs) yeah
0: no again I think that work-life balance is something we have in common that's why we get along so well um but you know I am curious because I know a lot of coaches have listened to these and another takeaway for me is just the depth in the college tennis coaching ranks why is our team's 30 40 50 so much better now than they were a decade ago because the coaches everywhere are all outstanding and I'm curious you know Not necessarily maybe a piece of advice, but when you're hiring an assistant coach, because obviously, you know, a Big Ten assistant coaching job, that is one of the jobs anyone would want at the early stages of their career. What were the things you were looking for in filling that role?
1: I, I think a lot of it depends on the team that you have and the team that you're going to have. So I think one, just finding someone that's going to be a good fit. Um, one with the university, with you know our academic mission, our athletic mission, um, the holistic experience that I think the Big Ten provides is, is different than maybe some other conferences. Um, so I think just keeping an eye towards that. And then also just someone that's gonna bring, I mean, Susie is the most optimistic person I have ever had the privilege of being around. Um, and so I think it's fun. Um, Um, And just someone that's going to be able to have, for me, it was a really good opportunity to bring someone that had competed at, Um, you know the NCAA tournament as a team she competed as an assistant coach or I guess sorry not competed but rather she coached um, a team that made NCAAs and then also she was an elite level doubles player so I keep telling her she probably should have tried to play mixed I think she could have made it
0: (laughs) yeah no I mean I think a lot of you could have and that'll get me to a question I have later on Um, but you know with all of those Things in mind, you look at the team you bring back, and obviously I'm sure it's just been great to have a full fall to work with them once again, particularly because the Big Ten, there was no fall last season. But I want to start with the doubles. You look for your team last year, and I'm sure some of this is health as well. But I think you played 12 doubles pairings throughout the course of the year. That is on the higher side. Is that (laughs) you searching for continuity? Is that an injury thing? What leads to that sort of number?
1: Um, I think... If you look, it's really it was super interesting because sometimes the pairings did really well, and then all of a sudden we would just take a nosedive. Um, <laughs> so I don't know if like they just got bored. We we talked about it a lot. It's really interesting when we watch film. Um, it's kind of fascinating. They said, Oh, we didn't know we could play that well together. Um, So I think sometimes it's just taking a step back and maybe looking, um, at some film and seeing kind of where people were at. And then also in addition to that season ending injury in January, we had someone out with a stress fracture. So for five weeks towards the end of the season, and then someone else out. So I think that just kind of resulted in, um, trying to make things work, trying to put six healthy people, maybe even out, um,
0: Mm -hmm. And so for you, this fall, has the focus been finding pairings or getting everyone on the system?
1: I think one, just the system, and then two, um, our region actually did some different things with the regional. So I think that kind of created a a little bit of maybe a speed bump in terms of trying to figure out doubles pairings, especially – we have five new players in addition to five returners. So we have like a little bigger team, which is really fun. It's the largest team I've ever had at Wisconsin, honestly. Um, So that's really cool. I don't know if that's a a byproduct of maybe not having enough people last year that we just said, (laughs) hey, we're gonna go with 10. Um, But yeah, so I don't know. I think it's been getting people into the system and then also just seeing what people, what weapons people have and then how we can continue to develop you know, all their skills.
0: Everyone knows the saying, double the coaches, double the roster. That's just, (laughs) yeah, that's what you do. Um, When you look at the way doubles is played now, is it different than 10 years ago when you were playing? I I feel like serving volley, I don't want to say it's been de-emphasized, but I do think you see it less.
1: I feel like everyone loves to like revel in what college tennis was like when they played or how good it was or how bad it was sure. or how long it was i feel like you know everyone loves to do that um and i just i think it is what it is and you try and adapt and evolve based on where you're at and where your team's at and what they're capable of doing um i think in indoor tennis you might see more and volleys just because like the conditions are a little faster um but i also think people are Getting better at running plays and being able to anticipate, so I think a lot of times, you know, technically, is it a serve and volley? No, but somebody might serve and move and they might be transitioning. Um, so I think you know, there's some variation or nuance to your question, I guess, so to speak. No, but it, it's I've fa- heard you ask the serve and volley question, you know, quite well, a bit. What I is, like what, it. what is the deal surrounding that? I'm so curious, like, where and is I it think going? it's just because
0: when I was growing up, and again, I wasn't as good as any of you were, but that's just everywhere I look, that's the way doubles was. Taught. And I do think part of it is well, why is the reason not the case? Is it because people nowadays they can stay back and you hit a forehand 100 miles an hour? Let's just do that as frequently as possible. Why get them moving forward? Are players not taught? Because I think it's a fallacy when people say, oh, they're not taught the skills at the net the way they once were. I agree with you. That's just not true. Now, the game's not played serve and volley the way it once was because. When you have a non-wooden racket, you can hit ground strokes now. Like that's the fundamentally the difference and the technology has gotten better. But does that mean the strategy should change? That's why I ask. Is it because does that strategy can you with the new technology, is that still the most effective strategy in doubles, or is it time to, you know, dismiss that notion? I guess that's why. Not to get, you know, too deep there. That was my bailout answer, by the way. I hope that worked.
1: You know, I, I think it's interesting because if if you look at doubles points, you know, it, it, uh, is a high level doubles point less than five shots? I mean, I, I don't know. We don't always have the the most accurate metrics. So I think sometimes that's hard too, to say, okay, is it, should a doubles point be less than seven shots? Sometimes you see, you know, at number three, we might be playing deferred pressure to back. The point might be 10 shots, 12 shots, 15 shots, like what, you know, I think it just depends on the person that's viewing the match, what they like. I mean, obviously a sure. big serve and a big volley is a lot more exciting, right? Yeah. Like, when people are watching volleyball and somebody gets a kill, I mean, everybody celebrates. It's fun. So I think. Yeah.
0: I guess my question is, I know it's more exciting. Is it more effective? Like, is that what we should be striving? I don't know. I guess it's it's fair to hear your answer. I am curious on, to add to that, outdoors versus indoors. You play at Arizona State, no indoors. Has it, was it an adjustment for you coaching indoor tennis as frequently as you do now versus, you know, leaning on your own playing experience, or did it not change the way you coach?
1: Um, I think growing up in Oregon, it rained sure. all the time. So like my whole life in the PMW was all indoor tennis, mm-hmm. um, at least for like a good chunk of the year. Um, so not necessarily a big change. I think obviously maybe what you look for in recruiting is a little bit different than maybe what, um, like if I was coaching an outdoor school, I think there would be variants. but also like working at New Mexico, mm-hmm at altitude, that was maybe going to be a little bit different. So I wouldn't say necessarily how you coach, but maybe you just evolved with the environment that you're in.
0: in More influential, altitude or temperature? Mm
1: -hmm. I mean, I think if you ask people, if you ask coaches, 10 out of 10 are going to say they hate playing at altitude.
0: Yeah, Uh, that's (laughs) why Texas Tech always wins.
1: Right, they're right below the threshold where you those high altitude balls, you know? So... (laughs) was on like a real hot streak and then somebody figured it out
0: yeah yeah no it it makes sense um well with all that said you look at the team you bring back this year and again i think five returners from the starting lineup in singles last year back on the team this year and obviously freshmen added into the mix as well talk to me about the growth you've seen from your team this fall and in particular let's just start here how nice was it to have a fall again
1: Oh, I mean, being able to actually plan travel or flight, <laughs> I, it was unbelievable. Um, I think it was interesting, though, because most of the tournaments were smaller. So the first weekend we had, luckily, we have a volunteer, Christina Zordani, mm-hmm. uh, Midwest Fave, but we did three events in the first weekend. So I felt like it was a case of planes, trains, and automobiles trying to navigate how <laughs> <out. laughs> is gonna you know get from point A to point B um how are we gonna do the rental cars? so I think that was maybe a unique challenge but you're like oh my gosh this is unbelievable like I don't care like we'll figure out a way to make anything work they get to play a tournament and then I think sometimes every day that passed where things are really good I kept being like we need to maybe play more tournaments because what happens if something happens and they get taken away so I think there was like a little fear in the back of my head that something was going to get shut down Mm -hmm. so that was maybe the only for me, the only thing that I had a little anxiety about.
0: No, I, I can f- understand that. And with a team, I mean, you have the five returners, but still a young team, even with, had the, you know, two of those years have been COVID affected and the big 10 feels that more than anything. Do you feel any pressure to play more hidden duels? Like did, did you want to see, you know, that your team in the team format more or was individuals enough competition?
1: I think hidden duels are always fun. Um, it's really for me it's great to even do mock tools at home just because they get used to how does the home match look and then they think there's less anxiety um associated with your home opener so we we kind of do a lot of those if it was you know maybe two weeks weekends in a row where we didn't travel um i think it's really fun to try and play a mock tool in january or some sort of tournament um but i think our fall is a little bit more condensed just because we usually don't start until september and then you're trying to like hedge where you're going to take your 14 additional off days and we don't have eight hour weeks. So I think for us, it's more about matches and how many matches can we get in in that period of time? And how do we get the right level of matches depending on the person and where they're at?
0: Yeah. How'd you feel you guys did on that this fall?
1: I mean, we played a lot of tennis, which yeah. I think it was at the end of the day, like of huge benefit. I think it's a lot of fun. Um, and we had some people do some things on their own, play some UTR events um, in California. So I think. You know, the opportunities are there if you want to compete. And it's just, you know, trying to figure out how to make it all work.
0: Yeah. And, uh, you know, again, do you uh, when you look at the five returners as well, because there are a lot of freshmen and, again, a lot of new faces on the roster, uh, talk to me about the returners. How was how their growth this fall?
1: Well, I think for the sophomores, the shock of being an in-person class was maybe <laughs> – a speed bump that I didn't really foresee happening but they hadn't been in school you know yeah. everything online they're like oh my gosh college is great like I get to have my own schedule I can go yeah. you know pick up a little grub hub coffee to go and then I, <laughs> so that was you know we had a little panic surrounding like holy moly like how do I miss this class and still figure everything out yeah. um so that was maybe uh, one thing with the returners that I wasn't anticipating but I mean we have just some unbelievable people on our team so they're really great about helping each other and trying to grow um not just as as tennis players but also as people so i think it's it's a really exciting group like i feel really lucky to get to work with them every day
0: did you have the speech that first cold october morning where it's like you still got to go to that class like i promise you the walk's not going to kill you (laughs)
1: um well we're defending like highest gpa in like Uh the department so like Our team's pretty competitive in everything. So I don't, I mean, you know, I think we just had to adjust, like how are we gonna make it all work? Do we have to have this exam proctored on the road? Is the professor going to be flexible? Yeah, So no. maybe we didn't have to do before, but I think they were like, yes, we get to play tennis. So it's fine.
0: Yeah, uh, no, definitely win. And, you know, again, when you look at your team this year, two seniors on the roster for you as well in in um, Ava and Anton, uh, Antonella, excuse me. Uh, but you look at what they were able to do last season for Ava to take. We'll start there. The lumps she was able to take at the top of the lineup and even still eight and nine in dual matches playing number one and number two in the Big Ten that's a good season for her now entering that senior season. What have you seen from her here this fall?
1: I mean, I think she finished um, her fall on a high note, like going 3 know at Harvard. I think a lot of those, I mean, playing against Maxie, like grinding out that third set breaker, um, that was huge. I think, you know, for Ava, she had a really good summer also. I mean, she played over 20 matches. Um I mean she was up a set and four zero against Joe Kick. so i think you know she's had she's put in the work i think for her it's just um you know laying out her cards and seeing where it falls so i think that's really exciting and then anto i mean she's just such a good competitor i mean i think i've never seen anybody willing to hit more balls to win a point in my whole life um so i think that that's you know you just she's so consistent with what she brings to the table and i think that that makes her. A those two together really good leader because they have different different game styles different strengths so it's it's fun to have them as our two seniors this year
0: yeah and then looking at the rest of your roster I mean obviously right now a lot of teams have a lot of talent at the top you feel good about I'm sure many of your returners how are you feeling about the depth like I I do feel like bigger roster is that going I'm sure that inherently does help the depth but how is that you talk about the competitive nature of your team how competitive has it been in practice
1: um I think everybody just feels a different level of pressure. And so I think that that pressure creates a better competitive environment. And I think, you know, hopefully when you have that sort of um, fight or flight response, we get the fight response and we are able to, you know, push each other to be the best version that each person can possibly be. I think, you know, there's always pluses and minuses with that. Some people might not thrive under that sort of pressure, but I think at the end of the day, when it's three all, like you want somebody that's willing to go for it under pressure. So I think, you know, pressure either create something or it
0: doesn't Mm -hmm. yeah and again i'm sure you you talk about all the playing you guys have uh here this year and all the matches you were able to play in the fall and you know now we look towards january and i'm looking at the schedule i you know obviously gets rock and rolling right away and it's crazy to think what northwestern's next weekend it
1: is one week away yeah Yeah,
0: so you guys started already that means right you must have started this week
1: we didn't um we start actually the eighth so two days away but we have quite a people <clears throat> few people here that have been here for like the past week over vacation period like requesting um individual skill instruction so that's fun too
0: yeah no so you've been able to get some work in I, it feels like it's a quick start though I, and i've talked about this with other coaches how frustrating is the dead period it feels like that's something that should be re-examined
1: well for us i mean they do finals through the 24th and school okay. there's definitely challenging um Mm -hmm. so I think they need that time kind of a way to just like refocus and kind of be able to really hone in on school I don't necessarily know in terms of the dead period working with our teams I think obviously depending on what your academic calendar looks like it's going to be different for everyone Mm -hmm. so I don't know I think there's pluses and minuses depending on kind of what your institution is and kind of what your academic rigor or lack thereof is
0: Mm-hmm. Do you like playing double headers? I noticed just right away you've got one the 29th. Is that just because you've got the big roster?
1: Um well also, I mean, if you're taking into account the 500 rule with national indoors, I think just, you know, trying to make sure you provide a balanced schedule of of opportunity/ slash, you know, um, matches is probably important.
0: Mm-hmm. And so again, when you look at the schedule this year, you're playing Denver again. Obviously, must have enjoyed the matchup last year. You're like four three. Let's slot that one in once more. You've got Oregon out there as well, and I know Marquette, SMU, Iowa State. What What were the things you were looking for in the offseason schedule or in the non conference schedule?
1: I think scheduling is tricky because you know you have people that are you're scheduling two years out, three years out sometimes. So I think it's hard. How are you making your schedule? What things are important to you? So, um, yeah, I think I feel like for Considering we had a COVID year, we had some uh, home and ways to make up. I, I think, I mean, I'm excited. Our team's excited. We have some different matchups, which is always fun. I think we have some tough road trips, which we hope will prepare us for our Big Ten season. Um, and, you know, I think we have some really good home matches. I think to open up with TCU at home, like, obviously, I think we're excited about that. And... I don't know, and then to be able to go on like a pretty good um, stretch of road matches and then come back to play national indoors, I think for us it's just, every match is such a good opportunity.
0: Yeah, definitely going to make up for lost time, right? It's like, don't worry, we're playing off-season match or off-non-conference matches this year. And, yeah, it's just going to be fun to get to see everyone compete again. So hopefully everyone's able to do that as well. Uh, With that said, I want to talk about some big-picture things also. And, again, it's year six for you now at Wisconsin. I think every player on the roster has to be someone you recruited. And I'm curious, you know, again, from a recruiting standpoint, you know, give me the pitch. Why should I come down to Madison? Why should I be a Badger moving forward?
1: I mean, if you haven't been to Madison on game day, that's just another level. Um, (laughs) And I think we're great in the sense that it's small enough to still feel homey, but we're big enough to be a city. And then I think our university academically is unparalleled. I think the resources that um from the professors to the academic support staff to the athletic support staff are just on another level and um our team really enjoys the holistic experience that Madison and the University of Wisconsin can provide and I think if you come Alex um I think we can make your tennis better
0: yeah, I would I would hope you could make my tennis better. That's a bare minimum. Um, no, I, I'm a fan of Madison, absolutely. And I'm curious for you, again, particularly right now, and I know this is something I've asked everyone, but I think this is the question. When you're looking to fill your roster, how do you balance finding the four-year players versus you know the plethora of options available right now in the transfer portal?
1: I mean, I think just a few minutes ago there was a big announcement on uh... – somebody that's transferring, So I don't know, it's like feast or famine, right? That transfer yeah. Um, it's, I think it depends on what you need and what you're looking for and game style. I think there's like a lot of variation, but I also think it just depends on fit. I mean, who's going to fit well in your system? Who's going to fit well with you? Um, you know, what type of experience are they looking for? Yeah. And those things are pretty indicative of whether or not somebody's going to be able to come in and thrive, um, in your environment.
0: Yeah. Is recruiting one of the toughest things, like as you adjust to being the head coach, is that one of the things that takes the most time to just, you know, I'm sure now at year six, you've got the pitch crystallized, but is that one of the tougher parts of, you know, getting into the job?
1: I think initially when you're 252 in the rankings, I I think that's obviously going to be a different, just a different animal. I think once your program is more established and you're continuing to produce like top quality teams and top quality, uh, individuals. I think obviously that changes. Um, but it recruiting is fun. I mean, you get to watch these awesome young humans, like continue to evolve and you get to have them on visits and they get to meet your team. So I don't, I mean, I love recruiting. I think it's awesome to be able to get to meet new people and, um, you know, you're meeting families and I think you're figuring out, okay, what people are going to be a great fit and could we be a great fit for them? I think it's just like this huge puzzle that continues to evolve over time, yeah. and so for me, I think that's definitely where you spend a lot of your time. But I think it, it's great, and then you get to have them here on campus. So you spend all this time recruiting them, and then all of a sudden they show up, and you're like, "Okay, this human's real." Like, <laughs> yeah. no, you know, you spent this time having them, you know, this virtual relationship with them, or maybe occasionally seeing them in person, uh, you know. But but it's tricky because you only get, you know. Yeah so many opportunities to, to see someone, so.
0: No, and I feel like that's got to be one of the other most frustrating parts of the past 18 months. How much have the kids suffered that you never got to see them in person? That it's all, you know, everyone looks good on a live stream, right? And so... It's tough from that aspect, just getting to meet them all, figuring out what coaches actually are the best fits for them. That's got to be part of the nice part of just being back in person. I feel like Orlando and San Diego must have just been like a frat party or, you know, just a big thing for all of the coaches, right? Everyone's back in town and everyone's, you know, just happy to be there. Um, I'm curious, international recruiting, how you balance. Obviously, you've got, you know, you're bringing in three freshmen this year from America. You're bringing in freshmen internationally as well. How do you balance international? National recruiting.
1: I, I think that finding the people that are going to be um, interested in Wisconsin and interested in our program is kind of like that first initial piece. But then it just comes down to relationships, right? Sure. Um, So are the people that you have had who are international having really good experience. And then obviously I think then that kind of creates a cascade effect, but I think we love the balance. I love the balance of having some international players and then some really solid Americans. I think they have completely different perspectives and backgrounds and then you just like shove them all together and you're like, Hey, let's go make a team. Um, But I think there's, you know, great sides to both. I think it's awesome to have, you know, really feisty Americans who have maybe grown up seeing college tennis matches. And then I think, you know, obviously some of the players internationally have played uh, team tennis or high school tennis, depending on the country that they're from or club tennis. So I think obviously sometimes they have maybe a little bit different perspective. So I think it's great. I think it creates um, a lot of opportunities for growth and a lot of really fun dinner conversations. Yeah.
0: No, I'm going to start a college tennis game show and it's going to be called Let's Make a Team. Let's <laughs> make a team. Uh, yeah, that that works perfectly. Uh, no, and so with all that said, again, recruiting is one aspect of it, but I want to ask you about some of the other non Tennis related parts of your job, in particular, obviously getting a community to invest in your program, making your players feel like they're someone with a vested interest in their results on court. I know that's something every coach is chasing across the country. I think Madison's done a pretty good job of doing that. Um, I'm curious, you know, how much time you spend on that, how important that is to a program.
1: I think if you've ever played in front of an empty crowd in a college tennis match, you know how important it is, right? I think when you can hear yourself breathing or grunting on like an exhale of a shot, that's not really um, you know an instance that anyone wants to have. And so I think if you're about the student athlete experience, trying to create that fan base or those people that are coming to watch um, and the people that are invested in your student athletes is huge. Um, so I think trying to figure out ways to do that. We're really lucky in the sense that Nielsen is a facility that allows other participants. So I think you kind of have like a built-in group. Um, but but I think the biggest thing is time. Mm-hmm. So trying to figure out times that work to have fans um, is also really tricky. So when you have You know an institution with parking and all these different kind of avenues trying to figure out okay that's also just like a footnote if anybody comes to uw you know the parking stuff you're gonna get a ticket for sure (laughs) Um, indoors i'm giving everybody a warning i can't get you out of a ticket oh that's so great (laughs) Um, but yeah so i think that that's important trying to find times that work um trying to find you know people that are going to be invested in the sport i think is huge
0: okay That was a deep cut because I don't know a single person who goes to, I mean, every year, five parking tickets. If you park to the left as you approach it, you're going to get a parking ticket. Park in the structure. Park (laughs) in the structure. That's why it's there. That's such a great public service announcement. And I actually think that is essential for people coming to the National Indoors, right? Park in the structure. It's that simple.
1: You will get your license plate suspended. I know
0: it's the longest. Have you? I mean, yeah. I don't have to tell you the run, the dash from mm-hmm. the freaking parking structure, and God willing, the side doors will be open for the National indoors when those are locked, and you're like, "Wait, I have to go around to the front door." Are you kidding me? That is the most angry you will ever be on a February morning.
1: One hundred percent. Yeah.
0: But then second most angry is when you get the parking ticket because you tried to avoid that and you're like, I was stupid. That's on me. So great public service announcement. That's, that's very funny. That's, that's good. Sorry. Um, with that said, um, no, it, so you talk about the how. And Nielsen, again, has tennis clinics and all of these different people built in to be able to come. But what, what piece of advice would you offer to other coaches in that how? What are the best ways to get people to be involved?
1: you know i think danny coach westerman here at wisconsin i think mm-hmm. us being collaborative on a lot of events so hosting tennis 101s just to get people to the matches we actually host them on opposite days so when he has a match we host our women's clinic mm-hmm. and then when um the when we're playing he hosts the men's version so I think it's really fun because then you're already having people at the match you're not having to worry about trying to prep for the match and running the clinic at the same time Mm -hmm. um so I think just doing things or working collaboratively like we're really lucky I'm lucky that I get to work with him and urban because it just um you know it makes it more fun too you feel like you have a little bigger bigger team of people that are kind of um collaborating to try and create you know a better experience for the student-athletes so I'd say that's a really easy gimme
0: yeah, and so when you're talking about college tennis, how to grow the sport moving forward, and this is the question I want to ask every coach because there's been a lot of changes to the product, obviously. Add to no add scoring, shortening of the doubles point, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. To grow the game moving forward, do we focus on continuing to change the product or does it just have to be everyone's got to do more for the marketing side?
1: I'm not sure. I think it, it's difficult to... Um go towards I guess a road, but we don't really have a destination so what is important I think that's always my question I feel like we have a lot of really brilliant people in college tennis we have the people on operating committee we have regional chairs we have you we have parsa we have you know a lot of people trying to, to drum up interest for college tennis and it's exciting um but I always am I I don't know how we go on a journey without a destination. So I always come back to like, what's important? Like what things are important for division one, division two, division three? Are we trying to serve all of college tennis? Are we trying to serve a certain market? So for me, that's always like my counter question. Like what's important? Yeah. Like, is it television do we actually have data if we do x do we get y um so i think for me it's just this problem that's very ambiguous
0: yeah that's one thousand percent and i'm quacking out the name parsa because no competitors on the show um you know <laughs> i tell it all the time you guys know you can leak information to me too like it's it's available uh but yeah it it, it is a question of what do you want because i do think and i think you start with this part do you like the no ed scoring? I mean, obviously you played ad. Has the no ad grown on you?
1: I think I just like tennis. So to me, it's like <laughs> everyone's like, "Oh, the format," and I'm like, "Well, it's still tennis. Like I'm still yeah. hitting a forehand, a backhand, a serve." I mean, obviously, like the shortened format, I think it's definitely more exciting. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're at Deuce, I mean, I can remember playing matches that were, you know, four hours long, and it's seven, six, in the third, and you know, um, yeah. you're, you're on your last. It's you know, six, five and you've played your 10th ad in the game. So I don't know. I, uh... I think it kind of goes back to my question, like, what's important?
0: Yeah, well, I think then it comes down to two things. Is it more important to have an exciting product or a product that best develops the student athletes within it moving forward as well? I think that's probably the first piece, because I think there are a lot of format changes you can make. I hope you don't mind if I editorialize a bit, but I think you ask a really good question. And so um, I do think from a development standpoint, look at the pro rankings right now, men's, women's side, singles and doubles, college players are finding success in a way that Yeah, they have at the top, I suppose, forever, but the depth is there in the pro rankings that maybe it wasn't once before and do continued changes to the product in the name of making it more entertaining, compromise that development and make it less likely for people to come I don't think the answer like, – so to get back to what you said, it's still tennis. Like you're still being developed, no ad scoring. You're learning pressure points maybe more so amplified than you would under a normal circumstance. And you know, I like both the doubles and singles aspect, but like is that essential? I, I don't know. That I, You're right. These are – the. this is what I'm trying to ask all of you coaches. What do you all think?
1: Well, I think it's interesting. You just said like there's more depth, right? And we changed the format and everyone said, or maybe there's a contingent of people that said, no, it's going to be terrible <laughs> for development. So I mean, at the end of the day, the people that are going to be successful, are they going to continue to be successful? It's just whether or not they're going to make a stop in college tennis first. Right.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: and I think you see a lot of people being successful in doubles, but why is that? Is that because they decided to focus on doubles? So they're getting into better tournaments and then as a byproduct, able to play with better partners and Continue to have success. Um, I think it's really awesome to see both the student athletes or former student athletes from the US and international continue to go and have success. I mean, that's awesome. Like, what a great plug for college tennis. Mm -hmm. But is that resulting in us being on TV and other aspects? I don't know.
0: Yeah, well, I think the TV thing is another big part as well. And I do think to some extent the game has to be broadcastable. Like, every sport does have, to a certain extent, if you want to continue to grow the audience. One way I do think to do that is simultaneous start, and I know I've talked about it elsewhere, but four singles matches, one doubles match, everything two out of three sets, everything at once, you know, everything worth one point because it gets rid of the lull, and it kind of guarantees two and a half, three hours max. That's what the match is going to be. Is that too big of a compromise, like simultaneous start appeal to you at all?
1: If I'm being honest, no. I mean, I I've heard some plugs for starting with singles and then making doubles overtime, okay. which I actually think is cool because if you call it overtime, if there's overtime in a basketball game, if there's overtime in a football game, everyone's like, oh my gosh, it's overtime, right? Yeah. You're like hyped, you're ready to to continue watching, you're going to keep your television on, and obviously, I think you know the counter argument to that would be, oh, but. But no one's gonna focus on doubles. Mm-hmm. Well, why? You're, you're gonna wanna win the point if it's the last <laughs> point standing, right? So obviously, you're probably still gonna practice doubles. Mm-hmm. So, or make
0: it all worth one. So even a 4 2 single split, double still matters. Like, then it still matters.
1: Well, wouldn't it still matter if you played singles first? Oh, I mean, and, uh, and if then, it's... You condense, then you would condense it for television time, right? If you just played singles first with our current format, you'd for sure be under two hours. And then the only time you would be over is if you had overtime and you're playing the doubles. I think that's a Kevin Epley, South Carolina idea. So,
0: Well, I guess the I would be the counter to, and I've seen the one pager. I know it's out there. Um, but that's the one thing I got. I
1: you, Alex. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. The academia. No, I think he actually told me about it on the show. I'm going to be honest. Um, but, um, it was, it was, um, anyways, it's just, I think. If you make it all worth one point, then even if it's a 4 2 single split, like you still have to play the doubles. Because my thing is A, the doubles development, look at the pro rankings, there's more college players having doubles success than singles. But also, part B would be the doubles points the best. Like the 40 minutes of excitement, it's Russian roulette, and you never, every point does matter that much. And momentum swings feel like they're that much more momentous in doubles than maybe they are in singles. I don't want to lose that aspect of it. Like I really do enjoy the doubles point. And that that's like that to me is why it would be you know that's why you make it all worth one so you still get to play it as frequently as possible.
1: But why? Because didn't you just tell me that television was important? So then you're going to a but format. But it's still and- overtime.
0: But it's still overtime at that point because it's like they yeah, didn't beat them in singles. In every,
1: match. Yeah, every match is overtime. It's a like, three-match overtime. Yeah. yeah. Right? That doesn't make sense. Like to someone who were trying to get into the sport, they'd be like, I don't understand why you're playing. The match is already decided.
0: Yeah. Well, can't you just say be smarter? Like that's what I always would ask. No, you're right. Um, it's frustrating. I mean, I
1: they have bags on television. They have, I mean, all kinds of sports, right, on ESPN. So it's like, where's our market?
0: You
1: uh, yeah. That.
0: I also think, though, simultaneous start, that's the, okay, everything is at once. And now it's, you know, it's five. Yeah, it's still five things at once. And from a TV perspective, that can be tough. But we can figure out breakpoints, game points, set points, how to preference, you know, how to put make it a marketable product, I think. A simultaneous starts, there's just no lull. It's not like 40 minutes, then two hours. It's just everything's consecutive, lay it out at once.
1: But wouldn't it, and with Kevin's format, wouldn't there be no lull too? It's like you either go into overtime or the match is done.
0: Maybe. It's still <laughs> then you have the actual. Well, <laughs> yeah,
1: are, is that doubles?
0: Is it, well, is the double still a set at that point or is it a 10 point tiebreaker?
1: It's a great question. I guess we'd have to figure out I mean, what is the time? Yeah. You know, that's so, where we're trying to get to with time. Like, how much do we have available and what do we want to play? So that's, I guess, where it comes. Because I would rather see one two
0: out of three set of doubles than three tiebreakers of doubles. But I, 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 you're, I like overtime. I do like that idea.
1: But I guess, I mean, my other question to you is why are more people having success on tour and doubles? Is that because they played a lot of doubles? Because the doubles is shortened, right? You even told me you played an eight-game pro set, no ad. And they played a ton of no ad, and they're still going on and having success, you know, on the pro tour and doubles. But it was...
0: Probably because it was emphasized at least a little bit, and a lot of the good guys are at the good schools, and a lot and the good women as well at the good schools. And in those biggest pressure point matches, so often it comes down to the doubles point. And so, for nine months, for you know three to four years of their life, doubles was actually stressed to them in a way it never was before. That would be why. And like so, to me, I don't want to lose that aspect of coaching because I think that's such a valuable part of the college experience as well as it rounds out the skill set and like overtime of doubles, even if it's still the overtime, to some extent it had to get, it gets deemphasized at that point. Right.
1: But I guess what years are you looking at? Right. Because if you take a snapshot from a, you know, previous five years where, I mean, I would say during my time, obviously it was a while ago, but I mean, doubles was still emphasized and it was an eight game pro set. Right. And it was still two out of three to get one point. And I mean, I would say that during, you know, the year's, Um, following my graduation, I mean, we weren't having as many people be successful. So I guess, why is that? I I wouldn't say we were de-emphasizing doubles then. Yeah, no, it's, so
0: that's fair. I I mean, uh, that's a very good point. And all this is to say, I don't want the doubles to go away. I'm afraid that if it's only the overtime, it goes away more. And I I enjoy the doubles from a product standpoint, maybe from a developmental side, you guys will still be stressing it. But I know right now that at least it's still a function, a very essential part of the game, and I guess that's it, it, it's it's There's a catch
1: too, Alex. I you know you love. You're not a new fan that we're trying to bring but into this. So
0: uh, I would give, and it's only anecdotal, but I know when I would drag my roommates to matches in college, I could get them to stay for the first 40 minutes because they're going to love the doubles point, the energy, only three courts, and all the fans are hovered in one location in a way that when you're playing six singles matches, you're just inherently more spread out. I think that property in itself is... Might be the most marketable part of college tennis is you just have this slingshot start where you are right into it. The energy is pumping. How do we not lose that energy and how do we sustain it over perhaps a TV marketable two to three hour window? That's like the crux of the question when it comes to the product side. In my mind.
1: Sure. But I think – We haven't really tried no ad with singles first either, right? Yeah. So, like, we're speaking to something that hasn't even ever come to fruition.
0: Yeah, because and that's the other thing because, Coach, it's hard. It's hard to get every coach to say yes to anything, which is why the fall should be about experimentation. And that leads me to some fall questions. I had Todd Chapman on this show a couple days ago can all listen to it here on the Cracked Interviews podcast, and he said he would be more surprised if the NCA individual tournament did not move than if it did move to the fall at this point. Where are you on the NCAA individuals and when it should be played?
1: Oh, man. I think there are pros and cons to all the things. <laughs> but my biggest question is how do you create some semblance of equal opportunity because I think if you're looking at fall events right now and they're based on selections, which is based on voting, I think that's always the, the tricky part. Um, how do you create participation? Obviously, that's a really important factor for the NCAA in terms of how do they provide participation opportunities for all the conferences. And I think obviously there's some people that are much smarter than me that are, you know, making those decisions. You have the Tims. Yeah. tim Cass, tim russell you know just um you know trying to create a better pathway for college tennis but i think you know to to consider all the the pieces of the puzzle it's two different formats you know you have the fall format and you have the spring format which becomes team so i think it's, it's difficult in tennis because what other sport has that mm-hmm.
0: yeah and you know i've hypothesized how great would it be at the U.S. Open, second week, I know how big of a dream scenario that would be. I do think one thing just to alleviate some of the confusion in the selection process and to try and make the rankings more accurate moving forward is to go to a 12-month ranking system and to incorporate UTRs and pro results into those rankings to make them as accurate as possible. Now, at that point, they're not exactly the college rankings. It's not just college results factoring in, but I would prefer an accurate ranking to, I suppose, a college-centric ranking. Is a 12-month ranking system, seniors dropping out only after they graduate or whatever it may be, something that appeals to you?
1: I just think it depends on what matters. Like I sure. hate going back to that. I feel like just a broken record at this point, but I mean, is it, what's your purpose is college yeah. tennis try and like develop pros. Is it to actually give people the college experience where they're playing for their university? They're completely invested in Wisconsin or Michigan or, you know, Pepperdine. I, I think that those questions really help us kind of narrow our vision and narrow sure. kind of what we're trying to, to do to help us prepare best for that. So, I I mean, I think if you're talking about trying to develop pros, the 12 month ranking system makes sense, right? Because you have people that are playing 10 months of the year. Sure. But I think, you know, if you're talking about somebody that becomes an unbelievable number six for a university, that's a, you know, a lock at number six and they don't want to go pro, they want to crush it for their team and they want to, you know, graduate in biochemistry and they want to go on to win a Nobel peace prize. Like I'm down <laughs> with that person too, right? So what, I mean, I just, I think for me, the college experience was so valuable. I think having, you know, someone like Sheila as your coach and seeing all these other awesome female mentors in the Pac-10 at the time, you know, do this as a career, I think and invest so much in the people, I think that that piece was really special to me. But I think if you you have other people that are doing a really great job developing pros or developing teams that are full of pros. So I think it just comes back to what's important. And maybe that's a that's why it's so tough for tennis for people to kind of be on the same page because you have everybody that kind of has their own niche market and they wanna try and drive that bus towards where their own destination is.
0: Well, I don't mean to pigeonhole you, but let me ask then, where where are you at? What do you think that college experience should be for these players and for this sport, what that vision should look like?
1: You know, I think every person is on their own path. So it depends on what each individual at your institution really wants and how can you best tailor their experience to try and give them what they desired. And I think, you know, maybe just being transparent and trying to create clarity in that process. I think we have some people that are, Interested in playing professionally. So how do we design a schedule and how do we help them cultivate a summer schedule? That's going to allow them to kind of be at that ranking bandwidth they need to to make that jump Um, I think you have other people that really want to give everything that they have for their team and you know, their experience is more based on the the team and how do they really invest every time they practice and matches for other people for something bigger than themselves. And we want to support that too. And I think for us, it's just creating an experience that's holistic to each person and meaningful. Yeah. Well,
0: that's, I mean, I love to hear it. Well, with all that said, let's goof around here for a bit before I let you go. Some other funky things to throw at you. We're the only sport without substitutions. Would you be in favor? Soccer-like substitutions. Once you sub someone out, they're out for the game. But, you know, A, I think if there's an injury, you should be able to sub in a player on your bench because why would we ever want a match to end on a withdraw? But B, I think it helps development. Those 10-minute lulls, a little bit more difficult to keep going if you know you might get subbed out.
1: Um, I mean, I played two sports in high school, so I played actually volleyball until I left for um, – college at arizona state so i love the idea of substitutions i also think you know it creates maybe a bigger roster more participation opportunities And i think if you have more people participating maybe tennis can continue to become more relevant um just across like college campuses right because you have more people that are maybe interested in the sport and watching yeah i I mean i'm all kind of open to anything yeah
0: all right i like that well what about coin toss out one point head coach versus head coach winner decides the serving arrangements
1: I mean, that's not even a question. Of course, I do.
0: <laughs> I feel like you'd still do pretty good too. Like you clean up. <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying. You know, if we're being honest here, um, yeah, I it would be. There's a couple things I'm setting up. I just want, and I keep saying this, so I apologize, but I would say this to their faces: Ty Tucker versus Chris Woodruff ends in a fist fight. Like, come on. You're telling me that point doesn't get just so competitive. I'm in. I'm fully in on that.
1: I mean, we have some really good smack talkers on the men's side. (laughs) I mean, I don't want to go toe-to-toe with any of those guys in smack talk because they would just clean everybody up. Well,
0: you should hear what Brian Kalbus is saying on the sidelines. Guys, just smack. No, that's not true at all. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, one of the nicest human beings you're going to find. Yeah, all right. With all of that said, um, again – For your team, as you look at this season, as people who watch your team compete, uh, see you all play, what do you want their takeaways to be? What do you want your team, you know, again, to be displaying on court here this season?
1: Um, I hope that we have really, really strong um, ability to play for something bigger than ourselves. I think that's just the biggest takeaway. Like, are we competing for each other, and are we able to really try and maximize what we're given on a day? Um, and this is my favorite quote this year: "You're only as good as you are on your worst day." So I think we've been talking about that a lot. So I think those sometimes the ugliest days can be the days where you learn learn the most and um sometimes they're also the most fun when you can reflect but I think that would be the big takeaway
0: I like it well with that said one coaching uh one match in your past you could re-coach what do you pick
1: oh man I'm gonna go with uh 2019 NCAAs versus Syracuse
0: yeah first round yeah that's the one
1: yeah we had um a set Ava actually Ava Markham had a set point point. And at that time, she was just becoming comfortable with transitioning. So I think, you know, if I could go back, I would have just had her serve in volley or do something crazy. It was like, deuce, she was up 6'5". So, yeah, I would have liked to have relived that. But I think, you know, it's just – this is such an awesome job.
0: Yeah. Now, oh, one other 500 rule was gone last year. Would you like to see it gone permanently?
1: I don't – I think it's going to be interesting with the conference realignments with, you know, the SEC getting – uh, Texas and OU, how that kind of changes things, but I guess a lot of it will depend on what the situation is with moving individuals to, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's, that way, if it moves to the fall, the ranking system, everything probably yeah. changes a little bit.
1: <laughs> yeah, so much the fifth on the
0: 500 rule for now. Okay, that's fair. Uh, You know what that means is I reserve the right to bring you back if need be. And so, um, no, with that said, Coach, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. Looking forward to getting up to Madison. I think it's February, what, 7th, 8th, 9th, whatever that might be, that weekend in February um, for the national indoors. And I always enjoy my time in Madison, so I'm sure others do as well. Wishing you, again, safety, health, success here this season.
1: Thanks, Alex. Thanks for all you do for college tennis. Yeah,
0: of course. Take care, coach.
1: Bye.